Hello again and welcome to the podcast. We're going with our number two book of today that I've read. Uh, so this one is a very good book. I really, really enjoyed this one and for a multitude of reasons. But hey, if you're new here, happy new year. Hi, my name's Scott. I like to read different types of books and try different types of coffees. You're listening to the Coffee and Books podcast. You can reach me on my Patreon page. Um, I have a Facebook group page now, or you can even reach me on my email, scottbernstein16 at yahoo.com. Uh, so that's Scott spelled out, Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N, 16, one, numbers 16 at yahoo.com. Okay, would love to hear from you if you have any book suggestions or if you have something that you're reading you want to share um, I would love to hear from you guys. Uh, I want to know where you're listening to. Uh, you know, like, are you on your phone right now? What device are you using? Are you from another country? Um, you know, like I'm in the United States, so I'd love to know where all of you are listening to this right now. Okay, so today's book is a very, very um, groundbreaking book. It was actually a college textbook for a few years. Um, that is not where I heard about it. I just randomly picked it up over the holidays here. Um, it was actually a gift for me because I enjoy, like I said, studying different types of Asian cultures, as many as you know. Uh, many of you know already that I have an interest in Japan. And in particular, I like Japan because of a multitude of reasons, not just the history and the people and the food and the, you know, the art and the different types of things like culture, like anime and music and Everything that, you know, like I said, all those things I like and enjoy, but this particular book is sort of like an introduction to everything J Japan. You know, and it's not just about nerdy things, but it's actually explaining the Japanese mindset. So with that being said, we're going to talk today about the Japanese mind. This book is by Roger Davies. It was published in the early 2000s. Um, it's a quick read. The chapters are very short, and there's a lot of notes here. So we're going to talk about it. But in particular, I wanted to talk first about a little bit of an introduction. This is, like I said, a college textbook. It's not like a normal book I would read. It's not got a beginning, middle, and end. It's just every chapter is talking specifically about something that is in the Japanese mind. Uh, the Japanese mind is very unique, and it is very different than Western thought. So if you're used to Western style of thinking, you would say that we're very expressive and that we enjoy a lot of our freedoms here to express ourselves, and not just at work, and not just at home, but in front of family members and friends. The Japanese are quite different in that regard, and we're going to go over all of that today. So, what is the first note and the first one you ask? Well, let's get to it. Scrolling down to the bottom here, the first one, and I'm going to apologize if I mispronounce any of these, is called Amai. Amai is the plurality of answers. It's developed over time because Japan is a mountainous island, and everybody needed to agree as a society or die. And this is specifically talking about ancient Japan, you know, where families and societal units had to work together to plow the rice fields so that way an entire community could survive. So in Japan, no disagreements. In other words, when you're talking with somebody and they ask you something like, would you like a cup of sugar, you know, with your tea, you know, this is considered something that in the Western thought, specifically, let's say here in the U.S., if somebody asked me if I wanted sugar and I said no, you know, that would be fine. But in Japanese culture, it is very rude to say the word no. So, you know, a plurality of answers is given, meaning you would say, you know, oh, you know, that'd be fine, or you can give me, you know, Splenda with that, or something else. In other words, multiple answers are given as to what would be acceptable. 
Um, answers are basically vague to not upset people. Uh, and in, in other words, it's to not hurt the other person's feelings. Uh, it's a very considerate society, so it's very important to know. You know, step number one, don't offend anyone. Okay, number two, A-M-A-E, amei, the concept of Japanese dependence. Um, and so this describes the personal intimacy of personal relationships. Again, societal units are a very formal and important function of society in Japanese society. So in the U.S., you know, we think of ourselves as more independent. But in places all over the world, like in Japan, and specifically, there's more of a, you know, a hive mindset. You know, there's a special relationship where a person has with their teacher. There's a special relationship that you would have with your parents. There's a special relationship you would have with your coworkers. All of that is very true in Japan and more so. But basically, there's a very important intimacy that you can only have with other people in your group or your family. So if I'm talking to you and you're close to me, that might be the closest anyone sees you. You're not going to probably go tell a stranger your complete feelings in Japan. Okay. Number three, Emma Kadari, Descent from Heaven. This is explaining the relationship of the government and the private sector. Um, there's a very cozy relationship between the public and private sector in Japan. Many countries might consider this corruption. But basically in Japan, Descent from Heaven is how they viewed the emperor. You know, the emperor is the one who's in charge. He is descended from, you know, the people who are in charge and therefore... Everything has a place and a system and a hierarchy. Um, and so it's not just, you know, the emperor, it's everything. So if you go to a corporate business meeting, the president, the CEO, uh, you know, the people who are in charge are the descent from heaven. And everyone goes down in their formal hierarchy and place of importance. Um, in Japan, it's very important to note that it is not experience, but rather age that determines your level of workmanship. So starting out, you could be the best worker at a, corp a company or corporation, but you have very little tenure. You're not going to have the same impact that you would later on when you're older because Japan values people who are elders and as a society as a whole, even if that person is not as experienced, a lot of people are promoted when they are with the company for so many years. Okay, next one, Bigaku, the art of Japanese beauty. What is considered beautiful? Beauty is subjective, but what is hidden beneath the clouds? What is slowly falling from petals? This is sort of an abstract concept and hard to imagine in Western thought, but basically appreciating the beauty of something, even if it's only temporary. The best example of this is the cherry blossom season, which many people do appreciate and stand for in a single moment in time. In other words, going to visit the cherry blossoms fall and being with family and friends or coworkers to watch that it's a very unique moment that only happens, um, and you, while you're watching it, it is slowly, slowly wiping itself away. It is a very beautiful moment, a concept to appreciate, but it is something that is temporary. So art is subjective, and how other cultures view it is subjective. Uh, but that is one thing to appreciate in Japan, is the beauty of different things. And with the beauty of different things, like I said, not just of that, but of a lot of their paintings and images represent things that are only temporary, uh, but maybe spiritually fulfilling, or maybe in a way that is fulfilling and not just the obvious. Okay, next we have the Bushido, which is a code. Uh, the Bushido is the way uh, and an, of the warrior. 
Um, it's entering a specific state or flow, which is very important. I didn't realize this when studying previously about the Bushido. I just think of it as you know, a code for the samurai warrior class, but it's actually more than that. It's about being so good at something that your mind enters a flow state, which is something that you might do if you are athletic or you're talented in something like chess or any number of different activities. You can tell when your body is in a flow state because you are thinking about doing it without actually thinking. You are just doing. And that is basically what the Japanese wanted to perfect how to do. Um, this type of rule not only applies to just this, but it applies to flower arrangements and tea ceremonies and pretty much anything. So the idea of doing something, you need to do it not only because you want to do it, but you need to do it well. And you need to do it so well that you forget that you are doing it. That is the beautiful art of the uh, Bushido way that many Japanese still identify with today. Okay, Chimoku. Uh, Chimoku is silence in Japanese communication. And then, of course, as many of you probably already guessed, silence can be both positive and negative. This is also very important because communication in Japan, specifically if you go and talk with other people, you will notice that in Japan there's long periods of silence. And this could be just being comfortable with somebody in the same room. This could be communicating that you love somebody, and it can also be that you're mad at them. Um, and this is why many other cultures fail to understand the Japanese mindset, specifically at business meetings. Um, you know, like if you're going to speak with a superior and you are working with somebody who is Japanese or from a Japanese business, um, it is very likely that there will be long periods of silence. And this is done not to make the people uncomfortable with them, but rather is just their acknowledgement of what is happening. And it is just a part of the process of going and doing a meeting. That doesn't mean that they necessarily are angry or mad or they're trying to get you to cave into their demands, but rather it's the simple process of just understanding what is happening around you. Okay, let's go to the next one here. Um, okay, this one is called Danjo Kanki. Um, it's the male and female relationships in Japan. Uh, men in Japan have a very formal thoughts about arranged marriages and marriages, but basically men believe that they should be outside of the home and women should be on the inside. And this is a very common belief still held in Japan, even though many women are still in the workforce. Um, you know, the man is supposed to make the money, the woman is supposed to do the housework. Um, or, and take care of the kids and basically do everything else besides make the money. But in reality, more and more women today are entering the workforce. And this is part of the reason why Japan has a problem with reproductivity. Uh, many women decide to stay single. Many men are still bachelors. Uh, you know, there's not as many kids being born anymore. It is a huge problem in Japan because they're worried about the Japanese numbers dwindling and the culture dwindling and it's very important that you know the culture continues and that they can express their beliefs uh, but you know if you're not having babies it's not going to happen uh, but women are like i said more educated than ever but often feel the most discrimination um, but not only women but other groups of people feel discrimination in japan as well but it's very important to know in this particular example of many women decide not to get married and have kids because they will lose their job after they use the maternity leave, which is, I think, crazy. That's even a thing, but it would be basically you go to have a child and you come back and your job's already been replaced. Well, you have a kid now. Why do you need to come back here? That's basically how Japanese culture works. So many people don't want to 
get married and have kids because they know they lose their jobs. Okay, next. Uh, Do, being the spirit of Japan. Do being popular like Bushido, uh, meaning the way. Uh, Like I said earlier, we talked about how Bushido is the way of the warrior, uh, but this, again, can be uh, confirmed by thinking of it in terms of Zen and finding the peaceful state of mind. All right, next we have Gambari, Japanese patience and determination. In Japan, they say things like to each other, words of encouragement like, don't take it easy. They say, work harder. Um, It often leads to people overworking and dying, uh, which is a very serious problem in Japan, is that the pressure that people face often leads to them having mental issues and all kinds of other problems. But basically, you encourage everybody in all forms of society to work as hard as possible. Um, even if you know, they are stressed, you still encourage them to work harder because they think through work, everything will be better, uh, which isn't necessarily true, as we know from mental health and society today. You know, there could be other underlying issues going on. Uh, so it's just important to know about that. Next we have giri, uh, which are Japanese social obligations. The best example of this would be gift-giving. But in particular, we have things like Valentine's Day and White's Day. Um, Japan is one of the only countries in the world where chocolates are given to people you know, on Valentine's Day. You know, and so we have men and women who give each other chocolates. Uh, but on one day, Valentine's Day, uh, women give all the chocolates to men. And then on White's Day, you have all the men give chocolates to the women that they like. So it is the only country that has both have separate holidays. Uh, But this act of giving and receiving is very important, uh, which we'll come to a little bit later here. But basically, one is obligated socially if a gift is given to return a value of the same type of gift back to them. And this can basically continues until they die. Uh, And so that's just a part of Japanese society. You know, you give a gift not just to family and friends on a particular holiday, but you'll give them for other social obligations as well. Like when you go abroad in Japan, it's very common that you will find Japanese people buy many souvenirs because they have to give them to every single person that they are basically friends with or know, and not just family and friends, but coworkers and neighbors and other people who wish you basically the best of luck in life. All right. Next, we have haragi, an implicit way of communication in Japan. The act of dealing with people or situations through ritual formalities and accumulated experience. Um, Again, Japan is, like I said, very hierarchy, but it's also very ritualistically driven. Everything is done a certain way. Doing this repeatedly uh, helps with society. And basically, they believe that if you stand out in any way in society... You'll be left behind, or you know, the nail that sticks out gets hammered down is a very popular phrase in Japan. All right, next we have heteratu to to ninjumu, Japanese personal space. Um, so, personal space is very important in Japan. Having a person, whether it be a man or a woman, there's a certain level of boundary, a personal space that people have. The closer you are to that person, like individually, like family or friendships, you know, the closer you will allow that person to come into your circle. And uh, a best example of this is watching a samurai movie and saying a master and his retainer. A retainer, you will see, will be basically standing far back, like back far enough that he's not even standing on the shadow of the, the master. But there is a point, and usually these samurai dramas and films and TV shows, 
when the master encourages his pupil to come closer to him. And this is to show that he finally accepts him, uh, which is something that I found very interesting. Uh, but basically, Japanese consider personal space very important. Um, entering that space unwanted can lead to people being uncomfortable. All right, next we have Hone to Tatama, uh, private versus public stance in Japan. So in Japan, you have your inner thoughts and you have your outer thoughts, your inner face and your outer face. It's very important because when you go out in society, if you don't know the people, you will often have agreements with other people, uh, you know, like to just agree with them, just because you want society to agree with it. So you would say things that you don't necessarily agree with personally, but you would say publicly, because you want to show publicly that you're united and that you stand together. Um, this is very dangerous, as we have seen through the emperor, and particularly World War II, where people did not voice their, uh, you know, voice their concerns over what the emperor was doing and going to war. You know, this often led to uh, very, very, very violent conflicts. So it's very important to note that the Japanese have a very particular way of thinking in that regard, is that, you know, your personal self is hidden, and that once you get to know the real person, you know, that person will come out. But often, many times, you don't see that real person for years. Okay, the Japanese IE system, IE, IE, family household system, passed down by the samurai men in charge and could, could determine who was married, and it stayed this way until World War II. So what does this mean? It means basically, in a lot of places today, even to this point, men weren't in control of how relationships work, uh, men determined family members who could get married and when, and you know usually this was done without the consideration and feelings of other people. Uh, you know marriages happened to strengthen family ties, but also to make you know social economic decisions and obligations. So basically, if you were a woman or even a, a man back then, you know you didn't have a lot of choice about who you married. And uh, you know even today, many people still think that the parents sort of kind of hold the trump card in that way. All right, and then of course, World War II, it said, no, everybody's on equal ground, you know, divorces happen, and, you know, most importantly, you know, a man and a woman can decide, you know, if they want to get married, and, you know, they don't need their parents' permission or a guardian's permission to get married anymore. Okay, next we have Itoko Dori, adopting elements of a foreign culture. This is perhaps one of the most unique things I've ever seen uh, Japan has a very unique way of adopting culture. Uh, even their language, you know, Japanese itself takes, uh, you know, things like kanji from places that were foreign, not in developing in Japan itself. Kanji coming from ancient China has helped develop the language of the Japanese system. So that's also another interesting aspect. You know, things that the Japanese like in other parts of the world, things like Buddhism, uh, you know, things like you know, American-style mu movies and music, those types of things can be adopted into uh, the culture, even religion, things like Christianity. There were aspects that they liked and enjoyed, and they might borrow this and apply it to their religion or their beliefs. A good example is Buddhism and Shintoism. Buddhism had very specific beliefs, but Shintoism did not. And this is why today in Japan you will find that many people have and still follow both religions. And, you know, there are... Buddhist principles, the way things people do them, but there's also Shinto principles. People do them because of Shintoism. Uh, so just an important aspect there that Japan does borrow from other cultures and can adopt it into its own society. 
All right, next we have Ikuji, childbearing practices in Japan. Uh, there's a very specific belief in Japan called the seat-down method, which basically means that uh, obser- observation. You know, in the United States, childbearing is basically, you know, not necessarily a bootstrap method, you know, pull yourself up and learn how to deal with your own problems. But in the United States, when a child is misbehaving, the parent will often correct this. But in Japanese culture, it's learning through the seat-down method. You observe what the adults are doing and then, and only then, can you appreciate and understand that this is what is right and wrong, and that develops at a very early age. So, very interesting child practice in Japan. Uh, next, we have Kenkyo, the Japanese virtue of modesty. Uh, so, this is how you would necessarily talk to a supervisor, but basically, everybody in Japan is really modest. How they talk to one another is polite, and even to strangers. Um, everything is very formalized, but basically on Japan at almost all times, pretend like you're talking to your supervisor. That is how you would interact in daily life. All right, next we have the kietsu, the Japanese sense of the seasons. Uh, think of the cherry blossoms. Those are, would be the spring and summer season, uh, the rainy season, New Year's events, summer events, uh, different festivals happen. Japanese have a very strong sense of seasons. Uh, next we have numawashi, laying the groundwork in Japan. Uh, so a very important thing earlier, I talked about business meeting, uh, in a corporate setting, most people will not debate a plan. Uh, they will decide ahead of time by meeting with people and they'll actually go out and drink and decide beforehand. The meeting itself is a formality, which often leads to a conflict of information when Japanese do business with other cultures because they're expecting a debate to happen, but the Japanese might've already decided what way they want to go when they actually sit down and have a meeting. All right, next we have Omai, um, arranged marriage in Japan. As I said earlier, the household might determine who got married and when, uh, but most people today are too busy to meet somebody and fall in love. So love marriages, meeting somebody in a romantic sense, is very, very not necessarily rare, but it's less likely to happen. A lot of people just rely on the older times, and they'll just find a way, like a matchmaking service, to meet somebody very quickly. And they still look for a lot of the same things, like coming from a good family background, uh, meeting people in a way that is uh, you know, similar and they have the same values and beliefs. That's all they want, good, they're good looking, they see a picture, they're ready to go, let's go get married. That's very common still in Japan. All right, next we have Otobengashi, Folk Tales of Japan. Uh, the Folk Tales of Japan are quite fascinating. They're often tragic heroine, uh, heroine figures or heroines. Um, some happy endings, but a lot of the time, many people are turned into animals after a promise has been broken. Uh, you know, like it's usually a fox or a swan or something else. Uh, you know, maybe a, a hardworking Japanese man meets a, a wonderful woman in the forest, and then he breaks a promise to her, and then she turns into a fox and runs away from him. It's supposed to be a life lesson or folktale story. All right, um, next we got Rosaikenbo. Uh, good wives and wise mothers, the social expectations of women in Japan. Uh, basically, that is their quote. Uh, it is all females, all women need to be good wives and wise mothers, and that's the end of the story. That's, that's their purpose. Um, next, we got senpai kohai. Um, senpai being the seniority relations in Japan, very common practice, the elder and the kohai, the junior uh, this would basically be not just applying to boss and 
subordinates, but also in school you might have a senpai who is a, a classman that's above you by one grade who helps you. Uh, this is a very special type of relationship that is found in Japan. Um, it is often portrayed in, like I said, their television shows and anime and music. Um, senpais are very important and being a kohai is also important because everybody is younger at some point. Everybody is older at a different point. All right, next we have the Shuden Ishiki, the Japanese consciousness. Uh, we're going to come back to that one. Next we got the Sosokishiki, uh, the Japanese funerals. This is a big one I did not know about. Uh, which combines Buddhism with Shinto. Uh, many traditions involve things like a family altar and praying, um, offering money up to a family, placing chopsticks in a bowl of rice uh, straight up. Uh, this is why you never want to do that in Asian countries because it is considered something that is used during the formal funeral process, chopsticks that they owned or used to actually pick up bones. So it's very important to not do what you would do at a funeral in everyday life. Um, you know, grieving takes on 49, you know, days afterwards, a very calculated amount of time. Um, but oftentimes the mourning process lasts for anniversaries and years, and oftentimes it leads to people having the social obligation of needing to pray. So oftentimes you have altars in your homes to pray to people and ancestors for protection. Okay, next we have Uchi Tosoto. Um, you have meanings in Japan of human relationships. Uh, uchi is family that are those in your central unit, as I discussed earlier. And Soto is everybody who's an outsider. Um, but like I said, many people face discrimination in Japan. Not intentionally, of course, but again, the way Japanese society is set up is that anyone who's different, uh, a gajin, which is a foreigner, is immediately sticks out. So going over to Japan, I'd be sticking out like a sore thumb. Uh, it'd be very hard for me to get work. It'd be very hard for me to make a life there because I will always be considered an outsider. But even people who've lived there, generations of Koreans and Chinese who've lived there for, and you grew up there and speak the language there for multi-generations, um, they are still considered foreigners and often find difficulty in getting jobs. Uh, so it's just a very important thing to know is that you will always be considered an outsider unless you were born in Japan and can speak Japanese. All right, next, uh, wabi-sabi. Uh, wabi-sabi is simplicity and elegance in the Japanese ideals of beauty. It focuses on the unseen. Uh, so thinking of this, uh, think of the tea ceremony. It is appreciating, like I said, that special moment that will never happen again. It is focusing on that and not what is happening on the outside of the world. So all the bad things that are going on, no matter what's going on in your life, focusing on that tea ceremony and the wabi-sabi of it is the simplicity and the elegance of doing something, being there with those people at that moment is very important. Um, oftentimes it's difficult you know, for people to be happy and to appreciate it because you, know, you have your own problems in life, but it's supposed to bring you some zen, some peace by doing this. Um, people are losing uh, you know, this type of behavior today because the sense of Japanese beauty and art is disappearing. Uh, because now there's other things that people do instead. They focus on their personal lives, and you know they focus on work, and they're working harder more than ever before. So to appreciate something like this is becoming more and more difficult of an art form to do, and it's therefore sadly disappearing. Okay, next we have Zoto, our last note. Zoto is the, specifically, we're talking about Japanese gift-giving, 
And it's a societal tradition to give gifts to pretty much everyone. Like I said, your boss, neighbor, cousins. Um, and it might be because of marriage or when somebody graduates a grade. Or it might be because they just wished you Happy New Year's. It has to be equal, though. So oftentimes in Japan, gift giving is very, very difficult thing because when you give a gift to somebody, you're going to get one in return and it will go back and forth forever. Um, and so, you know, committing to giving someone a gift like a family member because of a wedding or anniversary or present is basically going to be gifts that are given for their special events and you have to keep track of them. And oftentimes people spend lots of money on just giving gifts. Just buying gifts and giving gifts is a very important aspect of Japanese society. Uh, but don't tip in Japan. It's very important that you don't do this because it was seen as something that will not be able to be repaid and those people will feel burdened. Um, you know, the Japanese society says those people who are working, you know, even though if you really appreciate that, you know, you should tell them that you feel, that you appreciate their, their art or their food or whatever it is that you're trying to give to them. And telling them is way better than actually tipping because tipping will make them feel burdened. Okay. All these concepts were discussed in this book. That was a lot there. But I just wanted you all to know about it because this is a really good book and I recommend it. I gave it a three out of five because, like I said, it's not a normal book. It's not a story. It is just these are different finer points of Japanese culture. Maybe study the, st the cases and see how it affects you know, your relationship with other people. Uh, there's a lot of questions um, that I had after reading through a lot of these concepts. So... You're going to need to do your own research on this one. But this is a good book. If you wanted to know more concepts about Japanese society, this will help you understand the Japanese mindset more. Uh, so that reason, gave it a 3 out of 5. Not necessarily the most readable book, but still enjoyed it nonetheless. Um, and that's all of my stuff for today. Thank you again for listening and letting me ramble to you all. I uh, hope all of you have a wonderful, like I said, New Year's. And thank you again for listening. And I'll see you guys soon for the next book.